When I came home from the military, I was lost. I didn't necessarily have a support system. I didn't know where I was going or what type of job I was going to have. Uh, luckily, I had friendships that were able to direct me in the right way because they knew me and they knew what was kind of my strengths. But there's so many military members that come out or are ready to join into the corporate framework or leave their service and move on or move forward in their careers without any direction. That's where today's guest comes in. Cheryl Cross is unbelievable. She's an author, a podcast owner, a business owner, and she helps veterans transition from their military life into a new uh, framework or a new season of their life. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode as much as I enjoyed uh, speaking with Cheryl because she gives so much so freely and uh, she really is a powerhouse in uh, what she does every single day. So welcome to The Bridge. I'm your host, Chris Morga, and let's get into it with Cheryl Cross. Cheryl, thank you so much for being on The Bridge. I'm excited to have you here because we have so many parallels together and we have so many ways that we look at the world through the same lenses. So this is really a treat for me more than anything else. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor. And it's really fun to sit in the guest seat instead of the host seat. So thank you. <laughs> it's a bit like being driven around in your own car. It's like you finally get to see all the places you go with different eyeballs. So thank well, you. Well, did you like the green room? I mean, was there enough food and drink and everything was all right? <laughs> there was. I'd like a little bit more on the alcohol side, but you know, just it. to prepare for it next time. Yeah. Put that in your notes. You know, with, with you being out in Hawaii, the uh, the import costs were pretty expensive, so we had to cut corners where we could. <laughs> that darn supply chain, man. It gets you every time. I know. Well, like I said, thank you so much for being on the bridge. And, you know, we've talked a little bit um, before this. We've jumped on a few meetings together on LinkedIn to help serve people that are in, uh, you know, in the veteran community and people that even aren't in the veteran community, but that have that same type of structure in their lives that are trying to move forward in a big way. And I have to commend you on everything that you're doing, you know, just in the conversations that we've had, you really are one of the most selfless people that I've ever met. And it, it, I mean, there, there's not enough words that can really say thank you for what you're doing for the community. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. And I'll try not to cry. Um, <laughs> but it feels good to give back. And yeah. Like you just expressed, it's really wonderful to hear how these stories that I'm bringing to the fore, the stories of transitioning military, are helping others. And that's the point. So it's really easy for me just to highlight people who haven't told their story yet. So thank you. Yeah. And it's so important, too. I think one of the first conversations that we had, we talked about how in the military, there's a lot of things that are already laid out because they're tried and true for 200 some odd years in certain branches, right? So when, when our youth goes into the military and decides to stay for quite some time, they have a lot of these pre-selected routines that help carry them along through their career paths. And then coming out to that, you know, corporate America does have a very strong structure in most cases, and they like to put routines in and play that help with their workflows and processes to ultimately make that the customer experience is going to be grand, right? But for 
our veterans to come out of that that highly regulated structure and then to move into a corporate lifestyle. Just myself, I had a tough time with that. And then some of the veterans that I talked to, they just say, it doesn't click yet. So, you know, when you have somebody that acts as a liaison that can kind of walk you through that and say, okay, well, this is the same as this. It's just got a different name. I think the the value in that is immeasurable. It, It really, really is. So, I mean, to that end, I'd love to hear how you started out in this. Can you kind of walk the listeners through your story and how you created this? Sure. As a civilian, I sat in a corporate recruiting seat where I was able to see and try and hire so many service members leaving the military, coming into the civilian workforce. And as a gatekeeper for a big corporate Fortune 500 company, I was really limited on how I could advocate for them. There was only one area I could do it, and that was salary negotiation. I wanted to make sure that we weren't hiring people below the salary ranges. And when I saw the consistent, let's say, issues that they all presented, they were coming from this very predictive career environment where there was lots of pay transparency. They really didn't know how to align their skills to corporate speak, so to speak. So I was able to really kind of create a program. I was taking some learning and development classes through my company, and it gave me an opportunity to do a capstone program. And I chose to do a salary negotiation class because that's the number one thing I saw was that especially women, especially minorities, but many men too, did not have the ability to negotiate a salary or even know what they were worth. So creating a four-hour workshop for Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam led me to beta test this. And Giving, I gave them the program, Chris. I just said, here, take it. And they are still using a portion of it today, which makes me feel great, um, to serve so many transitioning military through both TAPS and ETAPS. But this made me really think, why is this happening? And how might we, you know, perfect for your show, create a bridge? How could we potentially look at this in a different way? How can they present it? I started doing research and I started talking to people who had transitioned asking them, were they prepared using that year that you have? Or was it, did you only need 12 12 weeks? Or was it 180 days during your skill bridge program? And somebody said to me, in fact, he wrote the foreword to my book, Civilian Mission. Chase Hughes said, "I'd I'd like to get them three years in advance. So that planted the seed for me is if someone handed me the problem statement, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm a design thinking kind of woman, you know, how might we de- devise a three-year plan for someone to get out of the military successfully? And I just put pen to paper and wrote the book, which is the guide. And honestly, I don't know that it solves all the problems because not everybody's going to get a three-year head start on getting out of the military, but it's a good shot at trying to get it. The other thing is, when I was talking to these people, I realized that nobody was really asking them about their transition stories. And as much as value as I think reading a guidebook can be, I think stories are probably the best learning opportunities for us. You're going to remember a story more than you're going to remember a page in a book. And you're going to be able to recall that story when you need it. So you can put it somewhere in the back of your brain and kind of forget about it for a while until you get to that scenario. So 
what I did with my podcast, the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour, our goal is just to elevate the stories of 100 voices, 100 people who have transitioned or are transitioning. And so far, so good. Yourself included, Chris. Yourself included. Yourself included. You, um, <laughs> you and I, when we first spoke, I'm like, dude, you're a vet. I had no idea. I'm, I'm not seeing this on your LinkedIn. So I'm glad you changed that. Yeah, it was just a, you know, it, it was an afterthought for a lot of things. You know, I mean, it has been a while since I've been out, and you know, you get caught up in the the corporate mentality. You get caught up in the skills that you're trying to build within that corporate framework, and you kind of forget about it. Not that you forget the stories or you forget the things that you had learned along the way, but it's just not something that I thought of doing it on my headline. But I'm glad that you told me to do that because people have been reaching out to me and saying, thank you for your service. You know, what was your time like? Uh, you know, what was, you know, I was part of Desron 31. Mm. And we talk about these things and it creates so much opportunity for community. And just people that are like-minded or people that will give you honest, more honest feedback than you'll ever get are your, your veteran brethren, right? Um, but it, it has been something that was eye-opening to me. So I appreciate you letting me know to put that on there. You, know, you mentioned the, the pay gaps, right? And understanding the salaries to make sure that our veterans are taken care of and they're, they're getting up to their value. How much do you think the negotiation techniques are there from the soft skills perspective, being able to itemize all of your strengths and what the ROI was to the, to the military. You think that's a big it, part of it? It's so hard for them. And I have seen it from 06 down to E4. It really, uh, I have a funny story I'll share with you just, just to make people laugh because especially the enlisted folks will love that a 06 said this to me, but I was at an event and an 06 <laughs> came up to me and said, I just came from my service academy, 30 year class reunion, and he was departing the military. He was done. So he had been talking to me in the past about how might I do this? How might I potentially, where should I go get a job? Things like that. We had some cursory conversations, but he came back to me and said, I just came back from my service academy, uh, 30 year anniversary. Hang, hung out with the CEO of one of the big airlines. They were roommates back in the day, and they downed a bottle of bourbon, and he told him how much that he made, the CEO of this big airline. So now this person, this 06, who'd spent his entire career in the military, said, I know I'm going to get half a million dollars in salary. I almost spit out my food. And I said, <laughs> he's like... And I don't want to be unkind because there are people that go out and make a half a million dollars, but that's just not usually the norm. But mm -hmm. the the thing that I wanted to bring up to him was, Chris, not only is that just a fantastic goal, but it might not be achievable in your first few years. And let's remind ourselves that that CEO did not spend 30 years in the military, squeezing every drop out of the military stone. They had spent 20 years in the airline industry building to that. So I think that, you know, there's just this huge disconnect between what I've done, what I can do, and what I'm valued at. My next book is called Unlocking Your Worth, and it's full of exercises on how you can take your skills and your interests, 
which is really kind of going on what Civilian Mission, my first book, mm-hmm. is, but really having them do the deep dive. And what that showed to me, other than telling a funny story, and by the way, that person has a great job. I'm pretty sure he's not making a half a million dollars, but he's very happy in his role. He could be on that, his way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, how are you going to make that legally? Like keeping your clothes on, you know, like, you're going to lose your clearance. What are you going to do for that amount of money? Um, I mean, we could laugh about it all day long, but it was just this disconnect that they had no idea. And I heard this over and over and over, Chris, I'm going into the big, the, I'm jumping off a cliff. I'm going into the big abyss, you know, and it's, I thought to myself, as a civilian, it's not that scary. Come on in. The water is warm. There are environments that will welcome you. There are wonderful environments. I got to work for one that understood that you, like a fine bottle of wine, you need to open it and let it breathe and let you decluge. Mm-hmm. You're leaving an institution and you're going into another institution. There's going yeah. to be that learning curve for sure. And the, I, that story, fantastic story, by the way, but with the undertone of that and the core of that story that I resonated with was, I love that man's mindset that he said, I'm going to make a half a million dollar salary because there is a point to materialization. It's not a far-fetched thing. I mean, it happens quite a bit and we don't realize it because we don't market. It's not a KPI that we, we managed towards, you know? So I, I love that part of it. And I would love to, to hear how that, that gentleman turned out and what he has done at the end of the career, mm-hmm. you know, because as a, you know, this as a recruiter and a, a coach, it's always at the end game that we start the work. You have to reverse engineer the plan and the strategy and the little tactics in between to get there. And I think your book is going to be very, very timely, you know, because, you know, as we started talking about story, it's a story driven world now more than ever, right? You know, we've seen that start to come out in the 90s and the 2000s. We've seen small little stories, but now we're starting to lean in on that. And the people that are making tremendous salaries and the people that have even taken the opposite path and stayed away from corporate lifestyle, the creators, right? You know, they're making forty, fifty thousand $50,000 months. And I thought it was baloney. Believe me, I, was, I thought it was baloney. Right. When I started reaching out and talking to some of them and, and just talking career and just generalizations, I became friends with some of them. And I've physically seen with my own eyes these YouTubers making $40,000 months. Yep. And it's, it's scary because what does that say about the corporate lifestyle going forward? How oh. do they increase margins and how do they make sure that they're paying? to draw people into the organization where people are just going, no, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. And as a recruiter, that's really hard to sell that person on this company X is going to be a great career for you. You're going to be stable. You're going to have, you know, tremendous growth. It becomes a battle now. And then if you add the military community in that, like that gentleman spent 30 years in the military now he's on not only a pathway to learn how to adapt to the corporate lifestyle, but now he's also got to make a decision. Do I want the corporate lifestyle or do I want to build my own structure and take something on the road or, or hang up a shingle and do it myself? So there's so many different layers to that. I can't wait to read this next one. This one, I really can't wait to read this one. 
Thank you. You bring up some great points about how the economy is, you know, really looking at this. The labor market has changed drastically, and it's not a lot of the big pundits say, oh, it's population. It's not that the bodies aren't there. It's that the bodies are going and and working in different directions. We see this with our millennial Gen Z and now Gen A is coming up, um, the folks that are in high school now. They're going to be coming to work in a very different way. The pandemic was just the the match that started the fire for this. I think that, especially when it comes to the military, let's talk about this group as a population. They have the most, I want to say, opportunity to be creative. Because to me, and you know this because you served, they have the most unique experiences. Mm-hmm. Not just their stories, but how might they really extrapolate on something they loved? And how is that needed? Rather than fitting themselves into a cubicle and sitting in a cubicle farm and learning corporate speak, how could they potentially empower themselves to do something different? Now, I see this a lot with the special operators, special forces. In fact, the Honor Foundation, uh, there's a great guy out there, Kevin Seif, S-E-I-F-F, Seif, I might not be saying his name right, but his whole business, he and his partner, are about taking vets and putting them towards entrepreneurship. And I see a lot more places and companies leaning in this way because there's very unique skills that you're leaving the military with. They don't always fit. You know why? Someone said to me the other day, Cheryl, why do I need to put my my information through an MOS translator? This is so insulting after 25 years in the military. Why can't I just be seen? It's like corporate America still isn't ready for you guys yet. This has been... This is why you're a special population for federal government, WIOA, which is Workforce Development, Workforce Initiative of America. There's all this federal dollars going to make sure that these folks continue working. And there's incentives. I don't know if you know this. There's incentives for corporations to hire them within certain time frames. So if you hire a veteran within, I think it's six months, you could receive up to, depending on the state, it's like $9,600. So (laughs) if, if they've been unemployed for any amount of time, the government does not want these people that they've trained to stay unemployed or to even have a gap of employment. So they incentivize companies to hire people who have had that sort of downturn. It, it's such a complicated, uh, there's not one answer to this, which is probably why I love it so much. If there was the light switch turning it on solution, I, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. I wouldn't yeah. even have created this room or the podcast or written the book. So we're all trying to tackle this different ways. And you think we've gotten you know, as a society, I think we've gotten a lot much further than the 70s, the Vietnam era, you know, when young boys and, were, and you know, even the women that supported came home from being overseas and they were not received well at all. No. They were treated horribly. And these are the people that, you know, defended our lifestyles over here. So I think that there has been a lot of growth and, you know, Americans and and companies see this a little bit differently. But in your opinion, because you live this, do you think we're there yet to where it can be a seamless transition? Or do you think we're a long ways away? I think we're doing far better than people being thrown urine bags in 1970s. 
uh, when the Vietnam vets came home. My uncle re-enlisted because of this um, and continued to re-enlist even through another branch of the military because not only of his trauma that they didn't even speak about, but because he just didn't feel welcomed back home. So he went back. He went back to war. Thank goodness. And his name was Charles Cathy, by the way. I think, honestly, Chris, it's getting better. It is still wildly misunderstood. I live in Hawaii, so I can speak to Hawaii because this is something I'm called on as a consultant to come and speak. In fact, a large hospitality chain is asking me to do this. Will you come and speak to our hiring managers about the benefits of hiring someone out of the military or their family dependents? And I'm like, the military has been here for how many years? And you're yeah. just now getting your hiring managers to have this conversation. Well, better now than never, right? But why aren't you hiring them? Why are 10,000 people leaving this island every year that could continue to serve this economy, that could stay? What about their family dependents? If 50% of active duty military, which is about 50,000 people in the state of Hawaii, if 50% of those folks are married, or have significant others or family dependents. How are they? Well, let me tell you, military spouses still unchanged since, night, what is it, 2015, 21% unemployment rate. We can do better. So I look at those things, and you and I are both kind of based on metrics, given our jobs. I look at this and think, I can, I can move the needle. I can move the needle forward. Yes, I will stand in front of your your hiring managers and tell you things I think you should know. I won't judge you, even though silently I will judge you, because <laughs> you should. You should not have these biases. The military, depending on the areas, Hawaii being the fourth largest concentration of military for the U.S., I think they just think because those seats will be filled if someone's leaving, they're PCSing or going to another duty station, or they're retiring and going home or separating, that the military will just keep plugging those people in because that's their job, right? So the economy, in, in terms of the GDP, stays stable. But to me, it's like, well, we, we, have all these, we have all these open jobs. And this is a talent pipeline that is truly not really being looked at. So you and I think the same way. We're constantly hunting and looking for opportunities. This is a rich group of people to pull from. And I, I can go into any region and tell you what you're not doing well uh, and how you can do it better. But Hawaii especially, it's, they're starting to reimagine how they could inter like kind of engage with these folks, get them get the spouses when they move here and not when they're trying to leave and they've already made the decision to go to Kansas. I mean, then it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. They've already, their parents are already waiting for them. You know, they're going home. And how do we get them to think that they want to stay here? That's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm working on. I'll tell you, Pearl Harbor was one of my duty stations when I was in the service and I loved every second I was there. Oh, every second. The, the people alone, were amazing. I mean, you just really got, I mean, you could talk about the weather and the, the, the islands, you know, all day long, but the people in general, it was a lot closer of a community. Maybe that was because of the geographical location and you're on an island, right? Yeah. But everyone was a real community, more so than being in the States sometimes. And you live in these pockets of developments and mm -hmm. sometimes neighbors that don't even talk to each other and things like that. I never got that feeling living out there. Um, it's just an incredible community. And that number 21%, that seems so high. 
It is. You know, and unnecessary. You know? And these folks are not dumb. They're not not employable. I you know, I don't remember the statistics, but so many of them have higher education. And when you look at these resumes, especially let's talk about military spouses, you see them and they've had to take volunteer roles or you know, roles that they're really not suited for that are far beneath their abilities because of whatever, you know, biases exist in their work environments or what was available. You know, the military isn't in some of the more popular places in the world where industry lives, and sometimes they have to work on base. So you see a lot of volunteering, and that's fine too. That's fine too. I, I'm a huge volunteer person. I have three boards that I sit on and do this stuff all the time. I think it's noble. But when you're, you're home, like you said, protect the home, when your family needs you to be providing an income, and you can only go and make 15 or $10 or maybe nothing an hour, and you have a master's degree, that's, that's troubling to me. We're not yeah. utilizing that person. And it's not that they're not reaching out through their American job centers or any of the things. It's that I think that the, the bias exists for people. You know, a lot of military spouses will say, I've been asked how long I'm going to be here. Ethically, I don't think that's a great question to ask, but you no. can legally ask it. And <laughs> is your husband or wife in the military? Nobody should ever be asked that. That's none of their business. But it happens over and over and over. So, you know, you get, I would imagine, military spouses, family dependents get sort of a little hard skin. And um, one of them joked with me, why do you think all we do is go to thrift stores and flip furniture and put it on YouTube? I said, well, if you make money doing it, do it, you know, but yeah. because walking into corporate America and saying, here's my resume, hire me. They're like, so how long are you going to be here? It's awful, awful experience. And especially when you have a lot of jobs that can be done remotely now. I mean, the pandemic kind of proved that there are some jobs that you can do it remotely. And sometimes you can get more done remotely you know, than being in an office. Now, that's a whole nother conversation, commercial real estate, things like that. But for the military community, you know, I think you and I know we always want to offer value where we possibly can. So for anyone listening that's in the military community, you have a starting point for them when they're starting to think about transitioning, they're not going to re-up. Now, what's a starting point to kind of put themselves in the best situation when they come out? So usually when people drop their papers, I love your hat, by the way, DD214, um, or DD214, when, that's usually when people start thinking about it. And I know that they're still unprepared, so I'm a proponent of saying start two years prior to that. Start wrapping your mind around what that second, you know, in the third year. So if you're starting from year one of three, start wrapping your mind around what that's going to look like. Start your research. Start the LinkedIn profile. Even if it's not free, get a boilerplate one up there. Start networking outside of your comfort circle, i.e. the military, and start mm -hmm. meeting people who are working for companies so you can get a better handle of what that environment is like. So if you're going into HVAC or if you want to be like that person that came up to me, wanted to be just like that CEO of the airline, are looking for that dollar amount, you need to really put your trajectory into those industries. What might provide that? And it doesn't mean you apply for jobs. Please don't. 
And as recruiters, we're please like, please don't apply early. Please don't apply early. There's a timeline <laughs> for that. And really, the crux of everything kind of goes to being so confident and prepared when you get to the point where you are applying for jobs, that you're not only confident and ready, but that you've figured out what you want to do, how your skills and your interests align with that company, and how, as Jay Sanders, uh, Salters rather, Jay Salters from Act Now Education said on my podcast, and I love it, their job is to be the solution to the problem for that company, and how you can be that. So three years, I still think, is a little light in trying to wrap your mind around that, because there's another concept in the military we haven't talked about. It's going from we to me. Yes. You yes. can't prioritize yourself in the military. That's against all the rules. Your job is the mission. Your job is to protect others. Your job is your team. So I rarely goes into the construct unless it's to become stronger, better, more. So in the corporate world, it's your strengths. I struggle with this. I've never served in the military, but it's very hard for me to speak for myself and advocate for myself. I'm more of a, I'm going to help you. We're going to do this. And it's very militaristic in that sense. And I think that's because that's how my father was. And he was trained by the army. So, you know, coming to that, to be a true advocate and know what you want, you have to be crystal clear. You and I were talking about the economy and the layoffs. This has dumped so many people into the workplace that are trying to alter what they've done to do new things. So there's a lot of competition for the usual roles. And so somebody who has, let's say, a salesperson that's been laid off from a software company, well, maybe back in the day they wanted to learn HVAC. They take a six-month workforce development class, and now they're dumping into either the, the blue-collar workforce or something else. So a lot of these people are taking steps into different directions, and we're seeing them go because they have to work, right? They mm -hmm. have to work. We see this through our stats, through people who are being trained through our WIOA, Wagner, Pizer. These are federal dollars that are given to the states. So that's going to happen. And, you know, again, it's such a challenge just to leave the military after an established period of time. You've got so much that you have to do. You got to move people, your family. You've got a house that you have to buy and then once, you know, buy one and then sell one probably. There your medical, getting a disability rating. I don't even go into that in my podcast. I focus only on careers, but I know that there's this mountain of other stuff that they have to deal with. Getting a job, Chris, you know, is a full-time job. So if you start, if you do it when it's round the bend, oh, I'm in my skill bridge time. I've got 180 days to go get a job. They're frantic. They haven't prepared. They don't know what they want. They're like, what do you got? And let me tell you, you walk up to a recruiter like Chris or someone like myself and you say, what do you got? And it's like, well, what do you want? Yeah. Nails on know. the chalkboard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's cringy. It's cringy. Yeah. You know, and that's that's so relevant. Now, you and I have very similar and a little bit different approaches, and I, I really like your approach on preparing earlier because that's so important. I mean, preparation is is key. One of the other things I would add into what you said about reaching out, learning the lingo on LinkedIn, starting to polish up LinkedIn profile, is to start creating connections and creating community. 
with your target companies. You know, so if you're looking for to be a, I don't know, an analyst within Chase, you know, bank, start connecting with who your boss would be, some of your peers to say, hey, I'm in the military, starting to build out my network, starting to take a real hard look at this LinkedIn thing, wanted to connect with like-minded individuals. Don't lead with an ask. Don't go into there and say, hey, I need a job. I'm going to be, you know, exiting in three months. That immediately is off-putting. Shouldn't be because people should see, oh, this is ex-military. Let me get him a conversation with one of my recruiters. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really work that way. But there is a systematic approach or a more sales-heavy approach to doing that where you're creating community that is going to help you to focus on that me thing, right? Because as military, you know, it is the team. And I've struggled with that pretty much my whole life. You know, really? I've, it's always been my team. And then, you know, I've got the rug pulled out from under me a couple of times because they didn't feel the same way. And they were all about the, the accolades that they got. But my best advice would be to start building the community that you're going to resonate with on the outside, because that's the community that you're going to wind up serving with in this new capacity and being the solution to their problems. So I love that statement there. And, you know, going into the economy part of it and the, the jobs that are outside, you know, my approach is that I don't think anybody applies for a job eight hours a day. I don't think anybody, it's not realistic. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting your mindset in a really bad situation when you do that, because there's going to be rejection. All of it. Excuse me. There's going to be all of it. Conversations that stem out of that. But you know what I try to teach people in my programs is to leverage the strengths and the hobbies and the fun that you have in your life and create something that you can sell to maintain the lifestyle until you get into another business. So kind of what you and I do, right? I mean, we have these outside things that we do that are just enjoyable because we love people. But we also have solutions that we sell to particular problems based on our skills of being recruiters and being thought leaders in our space. So that's always the approach that I try to coach my candidates on or, or my clients on. And it seems to be um, a new way of thinking that we talked about before we came on air that, you know, these the creators that are leveraging this new economy and this new workforce and making their lifestyles to what they want to. Now, conversely, people coming out of the military, just be very mindful of you see these things on, on uh, the web and you see these lifestyles and go, that's what I'm going for. There's a lot of work underneath yes. that. You know, and some of the people that I've talked to that are creators that look like they have it all put together and they kind of make fun of things. When I've talked to them outside of that, they're talking about go-to-market strategy. They're t- I mean, there's a whole subset oh, yeah. of things that you have to do to make that successful. You don't it's just get $40,000 months. Yeah. <laughs> you don't just get $40,000 months. You grind to 40000 and yeah. you want to get to fifty, and you're terrified that you're going to get to ten. So, And it can change in a heartbeat, literally, mm-hmm. a yeah. month. You can see, and if you do look at your research on YouTube and you see these creators are like, this is what I made my first month. Well, I want to know what you made in your sixth month and your 12th month. How have you maintained that? Because growth is, you know, hard, hard, hard. When I launched my podcast and put my book out on Veterans Day 2023, 
and then had a nonprofit event that I had to schedule. Now I'm used to working pretty hard, but I lost 10 pounds. I, um, I didn't sleep probably for several weeks prior to launch. I had three people on call. We were working almost 20 hours a day and it's a podcast, right? I was trying to get four episodes out and the book was, you know, I was waiting for Amazon to give the, it's ready. It was mm -hmm. terrible. And the whole market, the whole go-to-market strategy that I was creating as a former marketing communications person. And it was terrifying, extremely thrilling, right? New, it's yeah. all new. But how do we, how now my job is, how do I keep up the momentum? That's a whole other job. And trust me, that's a whole other, whole other level of professionals because there's launch professionals and then there's those folks that are like, okay, this is how you maintain. And usually they're not the same. But I want right. to see you get to the $30,000 months with your, with your podcast. How are you going to do that, Chris? That's what I know. I Go to market know. strategy. <laughs> <laughs> see, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that too, because you know, my wife and I have a very weird approach to things. And, you know, if there's anyone who is very family oriented in the military, and they're thinking of transitioning and, you know, what to do next. Hopefully this is inspiration for you because when I came out of the military and I met my wife, she knew exactly what I had gone through. I was very open with her that there were some issues. I mean, I wasn't sleeping at night. There was a lot of nightmares that I had rolling over her in bed to get to the corner. Like I was a mess. And we decided very early on that we were going to be partners in this. And to leverage that family, we've gone through it all. We've gone through losing our home with two kids and built back to make sure that we've done everything we possibly can. But very intentionally, we kept our liabilities very low. Because we're always, and military people understand this too, because you never know when the alarm's going off. You never know what your never, next billet station is going to be. You never know where the problem is going to be and when, it, when it's coming. So we always intentionally made sure that our liabilities were as low as possible and then to maximize our assets and be able to live a lifestyle and give our, like, our kids a nice lifestyle. So when we talk about the growth side of like what's, you know, how do we get Chris to the $30,000 a month? To be quite honest with you, I don't need them. And I'd rather someone that, you know, isn't built that way and wants to experience that, I'd rather they have those. Because it's, you know, we leverage our strengths in military. You know, we're, we're always extremely confident because that's what we're taught to be. Yeah. We're broken down and taught to be confident and have everything put together. Don't show mm -hmm. vulnerability. To be quite honest, it's bullshit because we have to be vulnerable to be confident. You have to go through that to get to the other side. So, you know, for the for the next foreseeable um, few months in my strategy specifically is to show as many people as possible. We always laugh about the goal. My wife and I say, I tell her, I want to, I want to change one million people's lives by thinking by teaching them how to think differently about a career. I kind of stole it from Apple, but you know, it works. Whatever. Um, why a million people? Because I yeah. think that's the road to getting enough people to be like Bruce Lee, the ripple in the pond. It's a million people that can help another million per mm -hmm. million and then another million. So compounded 
on that energy. And you know, if if Kelly and I can go through the absolute crap and come out the other side to where we're okay, but there's other families that are going through that and they just don't if we can be a piece of inspiration and show them how to continue forward that's that's the legacy i want to live i don't need the lamborghinis i don't need any of that stuff it just brings more headaches but if i can help people and then they can visit my children at some point and say you know i remember your father and your father was a good man he helped a lot of people that's my that's my rich that's my legacy I'm excited to know you through this, and you are an inspiration to me. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And I'm not going to (laughs) cry. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) Something's in my eye. Well, I'm going to have you on my podcast. and I would love that. You're going to be talking a lot about your transition story and also as an expert. So um, you're going to have a chance to give back to my audience. But again, thank you so much for opening the conversation about corporations, about how the biases for both service members going into the corporate world and military spouses, these are all conversations that even if you're not military aligned, maybe you're not even in a hiring manager position, talk about Mm -hmm. it at cocktail parties, you know, talk about it standing and watching your kid play soccer. These things are These are biases that we all have to collectively as civilians and non-military people, and I'm speaking for myself, we need to be allies. This is the time to advocate for sure. Thousand percent. And that's a perfect segue, Cheryl. Can you, you know, for the, the bridge listeners, would you mind sharing how they can reach out to you? And to be able to to touch base with you because I'm sure there's going to be some military members that just pass along the bridge and they don't necessarily know where to go. So if you can sure. you know, share where to reach you. LinkedIn is my number one tool. I use it every single day. It's my preferred social media of choice. You can find me at Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L. I use my middle initial because there's a lot of us. Cheryl A cross, cross like cross my heart. And you can learn a lot more about me and the podcast on the letter X changepodcast.com. That's my website. And the website, the podcast rather, is the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour. We're on Apple, Spotify, all the major platforms, but you can find everything on xchangepodcast.com. Oh, I love that. I love that. See, you are, you are basically military. You've got everything planned out and built out. <laughs> I've learned from the best. You <laughs> become who you. you serve. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed we do. Thank you again. Well, Cheryl, Chris. thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to a lot more where you and I can help as many people as possible because I love your heart. I love your message. And I love how you show up consistently without even thinking of yourself. And I think that's going to make a major, major difference in so many lives. So again, so thank you very much for being on the bridge and we'll talk soon. We will. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>